This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, this episode of the Full Blast podcast is sponsored by Isotunes. If you're listening to this podcast in your shop, you want your hearing protected while you're listening to this great podcast. So don't just stick your regular earbuds in your ears and hope that that's going to help you because it isn't. Go get yourself these Bluetooth uh, wireless Bluetooth noise isolating earbuds and they protect your ears. They're, they block out outside noise. They're rated 27. The Para, Para Isotunes Extra have a noise reduction rating of 27. Awesome. They got a long life rechargeable battery. Eight hours in between charges, Bluetooth certified IP45 rating for superior dust and water resistance. You can't get much better than that. If you're going to listen in your shop, listen in style and protection. These things are awesome. And if you listen to this podcast, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give away a pair of Isotunes Extra professionally noise isolating earbuds. So listen to the rest of this podcast. In the end, I'm going to show you how to give it away. I'm going to tell you how you, you can get yourself a pair and go over to Isotunes. Get yourself some earbuds. I mean, it's enough already. I mean, I know what you guys are doing. Some of you guys are playing games. Stop playing games. Get yourself some Isotunes. Protect your hearing. Have some content. Listen to the Full Blast podcast on your Isotunes while you're doing whatever nonsense you're doing. You're either mowing the lawn. Maybe you're grinding some knives. Maybe you're using a table saw. Who the hell cares? But if you're going to use these, these Isotunes earbuds, you're going to protect yourself. You're not going to fool around, and uh, you're going to be in business. So Isotunes, go follow them on Instagram, Isotunes. Go check them out wherever you can buy a pair of Isotunes. Go get yourself a pair, okay? So then when, at the end of the episode, you got to listen to the end of the episode because the true listeners are going to get this giveaway. I'm giving them one of my set away, and we'll get, you, we'll get you going, okay? Fine? All right? Should we go on with this? Fine. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm in quite a mood. And that mood started last week, but it completely condensed into total mania in the last 24 hours. Mania, I'm telling you. Let me put these isotunes away. These things are pretty sweet. All right. So this was supposed to be, it is now Friday morning at... 8.44 a.m. I should have had the the new episode should have been Cliff and John on the show. I had a nice conversation with them earlier in the week and we had a technical error that, I, that was unforeseen. The technical error was the way we record this and I don't want to talk about this much longer. It's just like this technology is just... Listen... I've had the last two episodes have been problematic. So I'm going to just go into it a little bit and I'm going to explain to you why I'm doing this emergency episode, but it'll be fine. Trust me. I'm going old school. So what happened was we, I had a great time talking with Cliff Dufton, CJ Dufton on Instagram, John Ariani, Sunset Forge NJ. You know those two guys. I had them in. We had a nice recording. We had a nice conversation. We talked about blacksmithing, hammer making. We talked about Maker Camp. 
We talked about Maker Fair. We talked about Propane Pierre. We're going to have to get back into Propane Pierre back next time I have him on. We'll get him back on. And something happened. Somebody got kicked out. And when they get kicked out, the program, goddamn Squadcast, stopped the recording. Okay, not a big deal. I kind of saw where it was. And then Cliff got back into the room. I hit record again and kind of set it up so Craig Lockwood, the czar of the Makery Network, was able to just kind of just butt them all, butt, butt the two tracks together, mix all six, all three together, mixing six ultimately, and then bingo, bango, bongo, you're listening to John and Cliff, you know, and me, yeah, Moran. Well, I got, uh, I didn't sleep very well last night, and we're going to talk about why I didn't sleep very well last night. And uh, I woke up this morning to a. T- I was I was up at four. I didn't didn't sleep well at all. And apparently, I uh, I may have had a couple too many beers last night. A couple just too many beers. Two. I only had three beers. I probably should have had one beer, but I guess the beer made me snore. So what extra beer made me snore? So my poor wife didn't get much sleep either. So we're gonna be addressing that soon too. Gotta 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 cut it out with the. You know, snoring and the, the beer makes me snore. So I think we're going to be chilling out on that for a while. So wake up before, get a message from Craig. Craig's in France. Craig tells me the audio, Cliff's audio on the second recording, it's not there. It's just not there. And it sounds weird if you and and if, if me and John are talking and then we stop to listen to Cliff and Cliff's not there. It sounds weird. So I, you know, sent him a message saying, don't post it. If it's not good, don't post it. And now I'm going to be doing that a lot more because it's, it's, it's very frustrating. In the last episode with uh, Adam uh, Balkovic, 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 sorry, Adam, he accidentally didn't mean to, he touched his Bluetooth headphones and it caused these weird audio glitches that when our two tracks were mixed together, there were some parts where he and I were out of sync. So it looked, it sounded like either I was not listening and just talking through him or there were these long pregnant pauses. And it was just like there were these moments of just like not good. And I was super kind of pissed about it. And it really wasn't Adam's fault. And obviously, I ultimately take responsibility for all this. In regards to the episode with Cliff and John, it really wasn't anybody's fault because I couldn't, when I I record the tracks, I can see who's there and there's the strength of their whatever, their signal. And then I can see if they're recording. So that's all. And then when at the end, I pressed, you know, stop recording I downloaded the tracks and it looked like I had everybody's tracks. Well, clearly Cliff's wasn't in there. So it just wasn't meant to be. But what can you do? What can you do? You go on. So, so you know, I talked to Craig. I said, all right, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna cough up a, I'm gonna cough up a uh, a single track. Single track is what I started on on uh, Knife Talk. And when Cliff, when uh, Mareko and and Craig couldn't do it. I said, I'm going to give it a whirl, do a knife talk single track. One track, I'm on an older computer that has the Dropbox so I can send it to Craig. I'm going to f- hit stop record, Dropbox it over to Craig. 
He's going to upload it, put the this, and he's going to put the beginning on the beginning, the end on the end, whatever, whatever in the middle. And uh, I apologize for any delays. And nobody's more disappointed and angry than me. Some of you send me messages. Where's the recording? It's not going fast enough. And Craig is nice enough because he's in France. He's able to download, uh, upload these at the time where Americans start to wake up on the Eastern Standard Time. So usually he'll, you know, it's like whatever. It's like mid middle of the day. When it's four o'clock in the morning here, plus five, it's four, is it nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning over there. He uploads it so Americans can have their dose of Makery Network be glory first thing in the morning for their drives to work or whatever. So God bless you, Craig Lockwood. And he said, don't worry about it. He tried to scavenge it. He tried to salvage it. He just said it sounded weird without Cliff. And I said, don't, don't spend another minute. I'm going to do a single track. And he says, don't break your back. You know, you could take a week off. It's not. And I said, no, because I have something to say. This episode is meant to be because I have something to say and something to say that happened to me. And ultimately, it's better off that I don't have anybody, anybody involved in this conversation. Just because it was a fucking moment of humiliation, uh, reclamation, slipperiness, and organization, and all your best things, that all the best things that, that, that get you where you need to be, something that allows you to, you know, succeed, some goddamn, you know, something falls out of the sky, and it makes you not happen, it makes it not happen. You can tell this is a thing. And I don't call these rants. I call these just, these are just moments of truth. These are moments of truth. These are not moments of ranting. When you talk about people always oh, ranting and rant, ranting is like the, is like the blatherings of, of, of a lunatic. I'm not a lunatic. I'm giving you moments of truth. That's what these are. Now, from now on, they are not rants. They are moments of truth. And these moments of truth are going to be fine. They'll be fine. So here we are. So this moment of truth comes from, that's what we're going to call it from now on. Though these, these don't start, please, if you're a listener to the Full Blast podcast or Knife Talk and I like to hear Jeff's ranting rants, I don't like it. Refer to it. If you have respect for the situation and you understand, these are moments of truth. Moments of truth and honesty. Unguarded, very specific honesty. I'm telling you the way I feel in a agitated, energized, and possibly dramatic way. Okay? These aren't just me being frustrated. This is me allowing myself to be unguarded and truthful. So these are moments of truth. Let's just call it that. So this moment of truth episode started out, uh, might as well start it out from where it started out. So back in the day, I was fortunate enough to work for the great chef, Charlie Palmer. Charlie Palmer, I've mentioned him a million times. I'm going to keep mentioning, mentioning him because he was a very important person in my life. So I worked for him in his restaurants. Uh, he's the chef uh, at award-winning, uh, high-star review, 
New York restaurant Oriole. He started it when he was very young. He's considered one of the legends in American cuisine. He he you put Alice Waters. You put uh, who's that other guy? Thomas Keller. <laughs> who's that other guy? You talk about American classic American important chefs. Charlie Palmer's in there. He top top ten important American chefs. He's on the board of the Culinary Institute of America. He's got rest Charlie Palmer steak, and he's got Dry Creek Kitchen, and he's got he understands being a restaurateur. He understands cuisine. He the chefs that come out of his kitchen are the best in American chefs. They're great. I mean, and, and uh, I was fortunate enough to work for him. And he helped me. He helped me understand if if it wasn't for Charlie, I don't think I'd be as happy in the knife making business with Fader Knives as I am. And part of that happiness comes from he gave me he gave me some advice. He gave me advice in terms of customer service that was very easy to understand and it was very clear and it helped me in terms of customer service that I that I brought over to when I was making sculpture and when I was making knives. Basically, it was my first night running his restaurant Alva with his chef Scotty and my my business partner now Tony Atzi. And I was nervous and he could tell I was nervous, but I was ready, but I was nervous. And he just took me aside and he says, listen, I'm going to make this easy for you. Treat the people who come to this restaurant like they're your family. Treat them like you care about them. Treat them like your friends and your family and just give them a bill at the end. And it was very cut and dry. It was very cut and dry. Just treat these people like they're your friends and your family and give them a bill at the end. It was like the sky had opened. It was like... It was the perfect advice, perfect advice. And I loved working with him. I knew his chefs, his cooks, Brian Voltaggio and, and Scotty Romano. And, and, uh, there's a, just a ton of Morgan, uh, Morgan, <laughs> Morgan, Morgan, <laughs> Morgan Vondel. And there was a pile of other chef cooks that came out of his restaurants that were John Mealy and, and Matt Hill and uh, Trevor Kong came out of that kitchen. And I know a lot of guys who came out of the kitchen and they all have a, a sp- very specific uh, attitude. And I appreciate the people. I appreciate a lot of the cooks that came out of Charlie's kitchens because I appreciated what Charlie instilled in his cooks. Good dudes. Good dudes. So I have a great, and when I quit, when I quit Alva, it had nothing to do with Charlie. I, it was, the restaurant business was too much for me. I had just recently been married. My wife and I were seeing each other literally just Sundays and we were both exhausted. And she would walk me to the subways on the, in the, we had different hours. She would work at nights and I would work during the days and where I would work at nights and she'd work at the days. It was, it was too difficult. It was too difficult for us to enjoy our the beginnings of this marriage and have this. It just wasn't going to work. The restaurant game's tough. And I, at the time, I was just a general manager. So I was just in charge of everything. It's going in early to do inventory. You understand. Staying late, the last guy to lock up. You, you understand. And it got, and I got to the point where I was just like, I cannot have my marriage fail. My father had been married four times. I would not allow myself to, I would not allow myself to have a failed marriage because of money and because of, 
uh, a job that I thought oh, that could really go far with Charlie. He's really inspiring me. I just, it wasn't him. It was the business and the expectations. I was unaware. And it's ultimately, I made the decision. I said, listen, I'm just going to give Charlie a month's notice, a month's notice in the restaurant business. Crazy. I might as well give him a year's notice. So I remember going into his office, tears in my eyes, and I quit. And I quit, and I said, I'm sorry, and I'll stay as long as you need. I'll give you a month if you want, whatever you want. I And I told him, and he appreciated that. He appreciated the fact that I was able to under, explain myself. He, was, he appreciated the fact, fine, I left on good terms. I left on good terms. I enjoyed him as my boss because... He gave me, he gave, he believed in me. He put me in positions that were tough. He knew I could do it. I did do it. Uh, and uh, he believed in me. You could say that it was some type of father figure situation, but he believed in me ultimately. And he instilled in me stuff that I needed in my life that made me better at whatever. It, but it was definitely, he was definitely a, a big figure in my life to the point where, he actually uh, catered my wedding. He, uh, I did a deal. I, I struck a deal with him. I helped him open up a restaurant, and then uh, he he actually cooked it my my my, uh, my wedding. So someday I'll post the pictures of him uh, pose him uh, cooking at the wedding. It was great. All right. So I left on good terms, and that's the way you got to do. You got to be. You know, it doesn't really matter, but it's very important to be. You know, don't burn your bridges. Fine. So. Over the years, every so often, I'd get a message, and if he needed something fabricated, I'd fabricate him a little table here, and I'd fabricate him this, that, and the other thing, and you know, and I wouldn't, you know, gouge him on the price because, you know, I, I don't believe in you know making a career out of one job, and uh, I made some table for a table that's still in Oriole to this day, even though they closed, well, it's still around somewhere. It it was it was a good relationship. If he needed something welded up. You need a little project, blah, blah, blah. Give me a call. I make it happen. So when I started to do the knives, he couldn't have been more supportive. He, I sent him a knife. He, uh, he had me come out to California to this big event with him, uh, that he does called Pigs and Pino, where there's David Burke and Elizabeth Faulkner and, and Nancy Silverton, Brian Voltaggio and Charlie Palmer. I made them all knives. And then we sold knives and we gave them away and I stabilized, he works with a winery and I stabilized some wood from this, from the, the oak barrels and we made his type of knife and it was great. And I sold a lot of knives and he promoted the shit out of me and it was awesome. And it was like, I really appreciate, he didn't have to do it. I wasn't like, um, I wasn't like whatever. I was relatively new at it and I'm still relatively new at it, but he, he took care of me. He took care of me. He didn't have to, obviously. He didn't do it for free. I gave him some knives. He needed a knife. I made him a knife. He appreciated me because he considered me to be one of his guys. I was one of the. I was still part of the family, and I appreciated that huge. So every so often, I do something with him, and he's been doing in the last you know year or so. He's been trying to do more um, kind of like events because you know it, it, it. He is quite a character and stuff like that. So. He was doing an event in uh, New York and uh, in his the building one of the buildings that he runs a like kind of a 
a restaurant in and it was a knife sharpening thing and he had me come in and we fool around and we made jokes and these people we told stories and we showed different knives and I did my nonsense and he liked it and he would make jokes at me we'd break my chops and I'd break his chops it was a really fu- it was really funny honestly it was really funny so that was the right before the corona that was my last time in New York City that was the right before the coronavirus it was starting to become a thing and we actually at at that event we weren't even shaking hands and we had a good time and he actually invited me yeah you guys want to go out for dinner I was like no nah, I'm getting the fuck out I'm going to get I'm going to go home I, I got to get I got to get back to Westchester but he, it was we had a good relationship So we always had a good relationship we follow each other I pr- help promote him on Instagram he promotes me and we got a good thing going so when the coronavirus really started to kind of, you know, heat up, a lot of restaurants obviously had to close down. There weren't, you weren't allowed to have uh, people inside the restaurants. So you started to see a lot more people using their social media and, you, you know, people, restaurateurs who didn't normally use Instagram or like Instagram, they were using the live features. They were using the interactivity because all of a sudden <clears throat> people are at home. They're surfing the social media and you can create content that's interesting and compelling and, you know, you can send out information and you can do some, you know, teach people how to cook. I know that chefs like Chris Constantino is doing cooking things and Mark Vetri at some point and, and, um, you know, Charlie started to do more cooking at home. He had a, he's got a beautiful kitchen in his home. He would have Scotty uh, Romano, who's my old friend from Alva, and he's been one of Charlie's oldest cooks, been with Charlie for 20, 25 years. He's the head chef at, uh, at Dry Creek Kitchen. So they'll get Charlie's son, Randall, to, to take the camera and they'll do an Instagram live. And then they started to book guests. And they booked, first they booked wineries. And then Charlie and Scotty would make something. And then the, the winery guy, would, the, the winemaker, would be talking about what he, you know, how he would pair the food. Now it goes, you get it. He was doing these interviews and they were trying to make it interactive. And they were fun. You know, good for him. He was using his head. And then he tried. I felt like you could tell like he, he created these series to turn into something. You know, his son Randall's in the filmmaking. And you can tell that they're, there's this is the, the beginnings of something kind of interesting. And that you're creating something. They were teaching people how to cook at home. And this is how you do this. And this is how you do that. And it was a great way for a lot of people to learn how to do stuff. So... After a while, uh, he stopped with the wineries. He had run out of so many. I mean, he got a lot of wineries up there he's got connections with, but, you know, whatever. So he tried to kind of switch it up, and then he was cooking with other chefs, and he was, you know, he was cooking with the chefs at, uh, you know, competing against the chefs at, uh, you know, at Oriole and all the guys, all the guys he knows. And then all of a sudden, somebody came up with, I think that it was most likely one of his, uh, his social media people, uh, Kristen, who uh, is one of my buddies, she's fantastic. And she started to say, well, why don't we start to cook with non, you know, cooks? And then he started doing, he created this idea called um, Two Cooks in a Kitchen. So Charlie Palmer, Chef Charlie Palmer on Instagram, you go to every Thursday at 1 Pacific Standard Time. He would do, I, he would interview a cook or a non-cook or whatever and then they would have a thing that they would both cook, and they would both cook together. It, it didn't have to be the same thing. It could be a variation, right? So the first one, I don't remember who the first one was, but I know there was one who was this influencer, and she looked so nervous. She was she's 150,000 followers, and she goes to all these restaurants and takes pictures, and they have her come to all the restaurants, and she influences people to come to these restaurants, right? 
So they had to they had to do this event where they were I guess they were their episode they were going to cook scallops and caviar and, and then each one of them they, Charlie started the live he introduced his guest she was very nice very lovely Charlie had a cameraman this woman had a cameraman and there's one block on top of the other and they're moving around the cameramen are moving around you don't know what to look at you don't know what to look at and you can tell that if the cameraman is using the camera, that means the person on the other side of the camera can't see what's happening. So when Charlie says, hey, what are you doing here? And she has no idea. And when he says, and when she says, hey, chef, what do you think of this? He can't, he doesn't see. So it's like, it was just very, it was, it was tough. It was tough, but they did a great job. And Charlie's super supportive and he's promoting her. And then he had uh, Claudia Fleming, who was an incredible pastry chef, and she made it beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So when the when I was watching, you know, and I was watching. If, I, if it's in New York, it's always at four p.m. on Thursday, so it's like I'm kind of like winding down anyway. So I turn it on, and I'll you know be supportive, and you know, blah blah blah. So I can tell Randall is behind the camera. He's got four. Charlie got four kids, four boys. They're good dudes, real good dudes. All his kids are good dudes, and. Uh, I see Randall, you know, hits the wave. Charlie Palmer's waving at you. So I, I, you know, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Y'all looking good, looking good, everybody. And I'm trying to be supportive, blah, blah, blah. So at the end of it, I decide, all right, it's only half an hour. I'll go on Instagram Live. So I went on Instagram Live every so often I do. This is how I got the jobs that I've gotten with talking, with Knife Talk, with the Full Blast podcast, with Epicurious Video. It was because I used to do regular Instagram lives and I understood how it's supposed to sound. I understand, you know, how, trying to create it episodically. I tried to be humorous. I tried to be a little bit, you know, unguarded. Basically what I'm doing here and then interact with people and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I felt comfortable with the, the medium of Instagram live. I enjoyed it. I did interview some people. There was one episode that was a total shit house. I had on the same Instagram Live, I had Alex Steele, Mareko Momasi, and Nick Rossi. And Nick Rossi, for some reason, you couldn't hear his audio. And I was just like, God damn it. If I had that fucker, he even fucking kills me right now. So I understand it. So I go on Instagram Live, and I'm just like, you know, fooling around doing, you know, hey, what's going on, everybody? You know, all that bullshit, all that nonsense. And all of a sudden, there's Randall Palmer. He stopped with Instagram Live with his old man comes on to mind and I don't know what possessed me. I don't know what possessed me, but I just started taking shots at <laughs> Charlie Palmer's son, Randall, who I like a lot. Good kid. And I was just like, what are you doing? You know, you know, you gotta have me on there. And I don't know what he I said, you know, you should have me on there. I'll, you know, I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen on that Instagram live with your old man. And then, uh, he said something along, well, it's going to cost you an oyster knife or something like that. And that's all it took. Uh, you've been hanging around with your old man too much. And who do you think you are? And I, I gotta, you, I've been, you know, I came down, I was born at night, but not last night. And you know, you should next thing, you know, I'm, I'm tearing him. I'm tearing, I'm jokingly and lovingly tearing him a new one. Jokingly and lovingly. It's always jokingly and loving. I'm giving him a mild beating, a mild, super mild, giving him a mild beating. Next thing you know, his old, his mom's on. And there's, there's his mom, Charlie's wife, Lisa's on, 
and she's laughing away. Oh, I said, oh, great. You know, you know, your mother and son are watching and, you know, Lisa, it's really good that you're, you know, monitoring what your son is doing on the internet. You never know. He's very impressionable. Ha ha ha. And then I'm going after Randall. I said, Randall, you know, what are you doing on the internet with your mom? Why watching with your mom? That's weird. Next thing you know, there's Charlie Palmer with the eyeballs. I'm watching you, Fader. And next thing you know, I'm saying, what is going on? Are you guys all sitting on the couch, all on your iPhones, watching me, all in silence? This is ridiculous. Next thing you know, I said, you know, Charlie, you could have me on the show. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you heat. Next thing you know, my phone gets blown up by Kristen Gegnis and uh, her people. And they're gonna ha- they want me on Two Cooks in the Kitchen, Charlie's show. And in, in the beginning, I thought, all right, great. I'll just I'll watch them cook and I'll just fool around. So I'm on the phone with Chris and she said, well, what do you want to cook? I'm like, what do you want to cook? Why don't you just have me on, have him cook, and I'll just I'll just heckle the whole time. No, 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 no. This is a show. It's called Two Cooks in a Kitchen, and Scotty and 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 Scotty and uh, Charlie are gonna cook, and then you're gonna cook, and you guys gonna figure out something similar, and then we'll do it'll be like a you know SmackDown. I'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I said just give me a little bit of time, and they were like maybe you should do paella. I said how much time is it? And they're like four, you know, thirty minutes. I'm like I can't cook paella in thirty minutes, right? So then I was like just give me a minute, I'll figure it out. You can count on me. I'll come up with something good. And I'm in the shop, and I'm thinking. I can't do it in my kitchen in my house for a couple of reasons, because otherwise I'm going to, you're going to be filming. If you film me, the, the stove is against the wall. So if the stove is against the wall, you're going to film me from the side. That's going to look terrible. And what I'm going to look, I'm, it's not well lit. I'm not going to go get lights to light me on the, what are you going to see my side the whole time? I'm going to have to turn every five minutes and what I'm going to cook in my socks Am I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be cooking in the kitchen with my socks, and the dogs gonna be barking, and then my kids in school, you know, at home, remote learning, and I'm gonna be like, shushed, get the fuck out of here. I'm not doing that. I'll cook in the shop. How bad could it be, right? And I'm trying to think. Well, what can I cook in the shop? And I said, and in the beginning, I'm thinking to myself, I could definitely, I could definitely cook, you know, something thin. I could definitely cook something thin. I maybe I could use the forge. Maybe I could what could I do? And then all of a sudden I realize that I should try to cook something that I like and that's easy to cook, something fast. So one of the, my favorite things in terms of if if I were to choose if you were to ask me what kind of steak I like the best, I would say a skirt steak. I think a skirt steak is one of the most delicious steaks you've ever I've ever had. And one of the reasons why is when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to this place called Sammy's Romanian down in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And it was this amazing place that they were known for the Romanian steaks. And the Romanian steak is a skirt steak, which is part of the plate. That's like the chest area. It's like a, it's like the chest area. That's, that's what you say. It's the chest area. And, um, they would make this, what was a Romanian steak? And the, and the steak was cooked beautifully and it was smothered in onions and there was schmaltz and gribness on the side. Schmaltz is rendered down chicken fat that they would put in the maple syrup jars. They put it on the table. It, the skirt steak has a flavor that is super beefy. If you cut it right, it's super tender. If you cook it medium rare, 
It's soft. It's delicious. It's got great flavor. It's an awesome steak, and it's fast to cook. P.S. If you go to Sammy's Romanian, it was a, such a crazy place that they they kind of had this joke where they would team up with this local uh, hospital that's no longer there called St. Vincent's, and they would give you what's called the heart attack special. So you have the whatever, and then the schmaltz and the gribness, and you're eating all this fat and stuff like that. And they the joke was that they'll call for an ambulance from St. Vincent's by the time you get the check. So you end up <laughs> you end up it's called the heart attack special. So my dad used to we used to have skirt steaks. It's in the London broil family. Uh, it's, it's, it's become a little bit more popular, very cl- uh, classic and Argentinian food. So it's relatively thin and I'm thinking to myself, I can make a, I can make a fast, uh, I can make a fast skirt steak. And then I'm thinking, oh, I mean, you know what would be great with the skirt steak is chimichurri, which is this awesome sauce. Once again, Argentina, Uruguay, Uruguay, and, uh. South America. It's basically onion, garlic minced up with uh, parsley, cilantro, and then some dried herbs, some thyme, some oregano, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, pepper flakes, olive oil, uh, and and vinegar. And it's awesome on top of a uh, skirt steak. Fantastic. So how am I going to cook this goddamn thing? So I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about it and I'm talking to Tony. I'm like, what do you think about, what do you think about doing a skirt steak? And maybe you can, cause I can know I can make it happen. And you know, with the amount of time we have and he goes, he goes, well, what you should do is he's like, did you know about, you know, about black and blue, a black and blue steak. Now for you all, a black and blue steak is also known as the Pittsburgh style steak. So a black and blue steak is basically what happened was, in the steel mills back in the day in Pennsylvania, Bethlehem Steel, whatever, these guys are using blast furnaces to make their, you know, I-beams and, you know, whatever. whatever. I don't know what the hell they were making. They are making steel, right? And they were using these blast furnaces, super hot temperatures, over 2,000 degrees. You know the steel's coming out at, you know, at least 1,600 degrees when it's kind of like out of the thing. It's hot steel, so they didn't get a lot of time for like lunches or meals. So what they would do was they would bring steaks with them into the the steel mill. And then as the steel was coming out, they would take their steaks and slap it onto the I-beams or slap it onto the side of the blast furnace. And the high temperatures, 1,600 degrees to 2,000 degrees, it would burn the shit out of the, the outside. And then you'd flip it after a minute. It would burn the shit out of the other side, and then it would stay, depending on the thickness of the steak, it would stay raw to rare. And that was, the reason why they call it black and blue is because you end up, when you cut it, if it's kind of a little bit south of of rare, it's kind of closer to raw, you'd see kind of like a blue streak. So black and blue became a thing. They also referred to it as a Pittsburgh-style steak, where it was kind of high burn on the outsides and then like raw to rare in the middle my mother used to love uh black and blue steaks she would ask for black and blue but you can't really have a black and blue a true black and blue style steak in a regular restaurant because they can't get their grills hot enough i mean unless you're doing unless you're getting it to 1500 degrees or even more it's pretty hard to get true black and blue and it has to do with the size of the steak if you have a thick steak 
you could probably do black and blue on like a cast iron pan. But if you're talking about a steak like a skirt steak, which is maximum half an inch thick, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I picked it. It's pretty hard to get it black and blue raw. So I was like, oh, that's great. Now I can, <clears throat> I can do like a kind of a connection. I'm going to do a connection between metal workers and culinary tradition. So I'm going to do this Pittsburgh style steak in the shop. And I'm going to pair it with chimichurri. And I'm going to put it on these little toast points or slices of bread, not toast points, just slices of baguette. And then I'll, I'll plate it. Now, and now I have to figure out how I'm going to make, how I'm going to do that. I can't really use the forge because my opening of my forge is not big enough to, uh, to have the piece of steel. What I wanted to do in my mind was to cook it on a sizzle platter. I love a sizzle platter. Sizzle platters are like an, the oval dish. You can stick it in your bro, under your broiler. It's usually aluminum. Sometimes they're stainless steel. They're awesome. I usually, when I do my tails from the broiler where I'm cooking under the broiler, everything's, my favorite stuff is always on a sizzle platter. They're, they're the best. And sometimes you'll see, see like if you get fajitas, sometimes you'll see something on a, at a restaurant. Sometimes they come out, it's on a sizzle platter. Used to old school, used to see steaks coming out from the kitchen on a sizzle platter. They're awesome, they're awesome to cook on. So I'm thinking, well, I need something, I want to cook it on a sizzle platter. I can't just stick it in the forge. It's not going to work. So I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out what I need. And I'm going to think, I need a piece of steel that's going to hold its, you know, heat for a while. So I said, you know, I thought, maybe I could use a hammer. I could heat the hammer up because the hammer holds heat for a long, long time. Or hammer, whatever, you know, a hammer blank. But then the size isn't right. I'm not going to just like stand there and hold like a rotisserie. I got to like, this has got to be a one shot deal. So... I'm thinking if I could just get a piece of steel the size of the sizzle platter, then I could have it in the oven, in the, my even heat kiln, pull it out, and then just kind of lay it on top of the steak on the sizzle platter. Boom, tails from the broiler. Perfect, but at like 1600 degrees. So I'm thinking, oh God, do I have to go to a goddamn steel yard? I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to Steel Yard. I don't have time. The other thing is, is I got two weeks. We've already established that they gave me the date, October 15th. I don't, I need, I need, I have work to do. I'm working on 56 uh, sandwich knives with Trevor Kunk. I don't have time to like run up to Poughkeepsie to get some steel. It's just ridiculous. So I reached out to my friend Chris Zepieri of Make Everything Shop. Also on the Makery Network, he's got a show called The Handmade Podcast with uh, Paul Pinto and Derek from Alden. Dynamite guy. Dynamite guy. Awesome guy. He's a fascinating individual. Chris is a great guy. He is like one of the busiest guys I've ever met. You want to talk about, uh, he's got a full-time job, and then his second job is being this, He does. he's a YouTuber, he's a fabricator, he does, he does Instagram. He's busy, busy, busy buying tools, selling tools. He's just... He at, at the age that he is, I enjoy being around him because he's got he's full of energy. Great guy, awesome guy. Chris Zepp, fucking rules. So I know that he just got a new plasma table from Lincoln. Lincoln's a sponsor of his, and I know he. I was thought I said, man, you know what? Maybe let me meet. Let me reach out to Chris. Maybe Chris can cut me a piece of a, a piece of steel, two pieces of steel 
to the size of the thing. And then maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you can use it for content. I'll use it for content. I'll give him whatever. So I reached out to him and basically I measured, I measured the, uh, the sizzle platter and it's an oval and the oval is, you know, 12 inches long and then an eight inches wide, but it's an oval. So I thought about it. I said, well, maybe I just figure that out. If you, you know, an oval that's 12 inches by eight inches. And then if I just need a little tab, I need a tab on the end so I can pick it up with my tongs. So the idea would be, I'd stick this in the oven at the even heat, and then I would get it to the temperature, but I needed to be able to pick it up. And I didn't want to pick it up like with pickup tongs. I wanted to be able to have an awesome fitting pair of tongs so it would be comfortable because a 12 inch by eight inch half inch piece of plate is not, is not, not nothing. It's something it's, it's, it's weight. And I don't, and I had to measure the inside because I don't want to touch the heating elements and I don't want to touch the thermal coupling at the top. And I, I got to take it out. Like, you know, like that fucking game. Uh, what is it? Operation. You got to take it out like that. Cause if I touch the fucking heating element, I'm going to get shocked. I'm not wearing gloves. That's, you know, this is a cooking show. This isn't a welding show. So I sent him a message and he says, yeah, I can totally do it. And, and I said, you sure? And I said, he says, I'll get the steel. I'll make the plates. Don't worry. So I was just like, oh, great. This is awesome. And now I have to start to get an idea of how fast, you know, the half inch piece of steel cools down because I need to make sure that one plate's going to cook everything. Cause the last thing I need is oh, I'm fooling around with Charlie and I'm cooking the steak and I cook one side and then I can't cook the other cause it's not hot enough. So I put a piece of half inch bar in my oven dragged it out, put it in a vise, and then I took a stop clock, stopwatch, and then I stopwatched, and I had a laser thermometer on the steel, and I basically counted every 30 seconds. So it went from, you know, from, um, from 1,500 degrees to 800 degrees in three and a half minutes. And I think, okay, half-inch plate's going to work. So this piece of plate that I use as an example was smaller than the plates I was going to have Chris make anyway. I'm thinking, all right, so they're going to be bigger. It'll be fine. I can cook a steak. I can cook a steak in two minutes per side. I feel comfortable with that. So <clears throat> I bugged Chris. Chris is a million things. He's got, he's working, he was working on a TV thing and he can't talk about it. He's working on this, that, and the other thing. And he had the time to make me this, this plate. So Tony and I are working on the recipe for the chimichurri and Tony's giving me some different recipes that he's worked on before and I'm getting everything ready and then I'm starting to think where am I going to put the, do the shot and I get a new, I get a new tripod for the camera just because it just make it better and then I get a new this and that and this and that I'm getting ready but I'm trying to work and I'm trying to spend a couple days, a couple, you know, an hour here, an hour there. Finally... Tony, uh, uh, Chris, Chris said to me, he's like, all right, they're ready. They were ready on, on, uh, they're ready to pick up. So I decided on Columbus day, I'd run down to a shop and pick them up. Don't put them in the mail because you never know what if it doesn't come and I want to try them out. So I'm, you know, you know, whatever this whole fucking thing is dependent on these goddamn plates. Right. So drive down, see a shop chat with him he's busy doing these you've no idea what this 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 kid is so busy it's insane he's running around in his sprinter van and this job and that job he's going to his business and the job that he works at and then he's going to you know working on tv shows unbelievable he had time to do this for me chris i i can't thank you enough for making me these plates 
And then I tell him, you should stamp, make everything on them. And he hand stamp, make everything on them. And they looked awesome. It looked just like the drawing. He just did it, no problem with his torch. He used to tell me how to, the, the Lincoln torch table and you tell you program it. And blah, blah, blah. You got it. Understand. We got it. So thank you, Chris. That was really, really above and beyond. So I get it back. And then I'm talking to Tony. He's like, you should try it out first. You should definitely try it out. You should give it a whirl because you don't want to be you know, caught off guard on the live feed. So, okay, you're right. So I got the recipe and I, I got the plates and, and um, how I'm going to do it is I have this big block of steel on my table, on the, on the working table. And the plan is I'm going to have the steak in the sizzle platter on the block with salt and pepper, a little bit of, at the time, we agreed on olive oil for the practice. And then on either side of the platter, I'll have a one, two, three block. You know what a one, two, three block is right there. Great for fabrication. One is the thinnest side. One inch is on the thinnest side. Two inches on the thickest side. Thicker side, middle side. And then three inches is your thickest side with holes in it that, that are tapped. And you can use it for all sorts of things. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll put two... I'll use the one, two, three blocks to hold the plate over the uh, the steak. So now I'm, this is this is the practice run. I got a small Cuisinart. I got a small. I got the tiny Cuisinart. I got the bread. I got the fucking. I'm gonna make the chimichurri. I'm gonna see if I can do the whole thing in 30 minutes. Get the steel up to 15. At the time, I'm thinking, all right, 1500 degrees, okay. And then I'm, I did a video, uh, I did a 23-minute video explaining. I wanted to be able to analyze it. I had a specific idea. I don't want a cameraman. I want it to be very static. I want you to be able to see the oven. I want you to be able to see the anvil. I don't want a lot of moving because Charlie's guys are going to be moving all over the place. And if uh, if his cameraman's moving and I'm moving, you can't, there's nothing, to, you can't see anything. It's just too hard. It's almost like being carsick. So what happened? So I think, okay, I turn the camera on. I make some, you know, do this kind of thing. Yeah, here we are making steaks and, and I did the whole thing in Pittsburgh style and all this nonsense. And I'm shucking and jiving. The hands are going up and down. And, and then uh, moment of truth, I pull out the, uh, I pull out the, I pull out the, the uh, steel plate that Chris made me. And then I, I have an anvil right next to the oven. I knock it on the I knock it on the anvil to take off any scale. You know, when you bring steel up to a you know certain certain temperature, the carbon kind of migrates out and you get scale and the scale can flake off. And what I don't want to do is have steel scale mill scale flopping down onto my steak because ultimately that's not a good idea. So then I put it down on the on top of the steak. And I realized that the one, two, three block is just a little bit short of, of touching. It, 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 I had it on two, on, on the two inch, two inches. So it was raised two inches above with the sizzle platter. It turns out it'd be an inch and a half and it wasn't close enough for it to start moving. So I flopped down the, the, the I flopped down the one, two, three blocks. So the plate was actually touching the steak. And the smoke started to billow. And I'm, I'm, I'm still looking at the camera thinking, all right, well, let's just make this a thing. 
Stoke's starting to billow, and I'm looking around, and I do have extraction fans, but the extraction fans are really loud, and I didn't want to turn those on. And I'm like, oh my god, this is great. And you know, of course, the smoke is just billowing out. And I and I and then I do have a kitchen vent, a kitchen hood that's over my blacksmithing area, but I can't be over there because the lighting and the oven and it just wouldn't have worked. So then after a minute, I lift up the plate, and at this time, after a minute, the plate goes from 1500 degrees to probably close to like, you know, 1300 degrees. And um, it's it's cooking. It's cooking. Fucking cooking. But it's also scorching. It's also like black scorch, which, all right, well, black and blue, black and blue cooking. That's it. That's what, I mean, that's what we're here for, right? Black and blue cooking. Pittsburgh style steak, black on the outside, raw in the middle. I'm doing something right. Flip her over, same thing. And now I'm all fired up because it starts to smell good starts to smell like really good steak and I'm I am cooking out of an even heat kiln a st- on a st- on a, a block of steel that's slowly slowly losing its temperature it's ridiculous I mean it's totally outrageous totally outrageous so what happened is as I'm cooking uh, I start to say okay now I can cook the bread now I can make the uh, I can make the bread. And I can get the chimichurri ready. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to make the chimichurri. So I'm cutting. I'm showing. I got all my knives out, the different knives. And I'm cutting out for the, I'm cutting the onion. And I'm mincing the garlic. And then I'm putting in the food processor. And then I I pull the steak out. I pull the steak out after like barely two minutes on each side. And then I put them on a rack to rest. Because as we know, ladies and germs, if you pull your steak out, at the wrong at the at the temperature you think it's done at it's going to carry over cooking. So what I did was I did the old push test. So I put my finger if you make a slight fist, if you make a slight fist there's like this what's called I don't know if you know this or not. But if you look at your thumb and you look at the knuckle of your first finger, there's this muscle. There's this kind of fatty muscle. And it's like a it looks like an the size of like a um like a nut almost, like a like an olive or a nut or something, or oyster. That's called your cheese muscle. I don't know if you know this. So make a fist and then stick your thumb in into the fist. And then you'll see that kind of lump, that brown lump on your hand. That's the cheese muscle, okay? That's called the cheese muscle. So if you stick your, fing- if you stick your thumb in your fist, you see the cheese muscle, and you push into the cheese muscle... It's soft, but it comes back, right? It's soft, and then when you take your finger away, it comes back. Your cheese muscle comes back. So what that means is that is the same texture of a rare steak, depending on the size. So if you push into your cheese muscle, fine. You're doing it right now. Thumb in your fist. You got that that bulbous thing below your knuckle of your thumb and of your first finger. You put your finger into it. That's rare. So if you pull it out then and then let it rest, you will fall into a rare to medium rare. Now, I know that some people are like, oh, rare is bullshit. I have learned that medium rare is the perfect. It's you don't a rare steak is good. If it's tender, if it tastes good, whatever, well seasoned. 
but you don't truly get the flavor of the steak unless it's medium rare, in my opinion, or tight, a tight, a very, a very light medium rare, rare and a medium rare. If you don't see it glossy, if you don't see that glossiness and that deep red, you're in the medium rare and that's perfect. So I'm checking it and I put my finger into it. And P.S. If you put your finger into a raw steak that you haven't cooked yet, you're, it won't come back. It won't spring back at all. All right. So if, if you want it to, if you want to get r- medium rare, you put you touch that fucking thing, and then when it springs back, that's you're into the rare d- degree, and that you know the tougher it gets, it's more medium well done, whatever. So I touch it, rare. Pull the fucking steak, cover it on a on a put it on a wire rack, cover it with aluminum foil. I'm done. <laughs> then I'm making the fucking chimichurri with the goddamn this, and I'm looking at the camera, and I'm like, look, that was so much fun. I can't believe I did this, and I'm all like, you know, naturally shocked because I am shocked that I was able to cook with a fucking block of steel. And then all of a sudden, uh, I, I said, oh, well, I might as well toast the bread. So I take a piece of bread and I put it under into the sizzle platter under the plate. And then I'm, and then I'm just like, I, in my opinion, a fucking day is done. If I can cook this steak perfectly, it's all over. Everything's fucking perfect. So I, uh, I'm, I'm chopping the onions. I'm talking about this and then the other thing. And if you look at this video that I don't know if I'm going to post or not or, or post or the first video where I don't know if I'll post or not, it's a little intense. You see the smoke on the side. And then all of a sudden I notice the bread is burning. The bread is burning. And I'm like, I pull the bread out and I look, I look at it and it's like, oh, it's perfect. And then I look at the camera and I just shake my head like, yeah, this, I fucking burned the bread. I have never respected bread. Anytime I've ever cooked hamburgers, anytime I've ever cooked a meal or toast was involved, if I didn't use a toaster, I never respected the bread and I always burned the toast. If I, That's why I like a toaster. Because it tell it knows the toaster says, "Don't worry, Jeff. I won't let you fuck this up." But if I have to use, if I have to heat a warmer bun up on a grill, there's a very good chance that I will fucking burn that that bread. If I put it under the broiler like a grilled cheese, there's a very good chance that I'm going to burn the bread. I have no respect for bread because I feel like the middle point, the middle stuff that's being involved, the bread is an accompaniment to me. Tastes good, nice and crisp. But when it comes to re-judging it and making it nice, I have no respect. I have no respect. And I'm not saying that as in like I hate bread. I love bread. I just, for some reason, I get overconfident in how I'm cooking the main important stuff. And I just like, yeah, whatever, bread. No. And I don't realize, I don't realize its importance. I don't respect it. And it's my fault. And I don't respect it. So I didn't respect the bread, burned the shit out of that. And then I made the chimichurri as we spoke. And as we were going, I'm thinking chimichurri is one of those things that you don't want to make a la minute. That means you don't want to make it exactly for the dish. You do want to let it sit. And what happens when you let chimichurri sit, you have half an onion and a clove of garlic, and then you mince those up in a food processor, and then you put them in a bowl with your oregano and your thyme and your uh, red hot chili pepper, uh, red hot uh, crushed red pepper flakes and two teaspoons of salt. And then you put in a quarter cup of, of, of uh, vinegar, white vinegar. You need the vinegar to kind of pickle 
the onions. So a raw onion with the raw garlic and you eat it right out of the chute, it's going to be intense. But if you were to make it ahead of time and then you got your cut your, you, you chop your, your herbs, your parsley and your cilantro, put it in, mix it all up, add it with a half a cup of olive oil and you let it, and you kind of let it macerate. You let it just kind of like slowly break down the vinegar and the oil, kind of chill everything out and it's delicious, but you really, you really don't want to make it for the dinner. You, if like, if you're making a dinner tonight, you, let's make a chimichurri. It will be a little bit too intense for whatever you're doing. And the whole concept behind chimichurri is it's a contrast. So if, if one of those guys down in Argentina, all those gauchos, they use it like a barbecue sauce, like an accompaniment, because if the beef was very high flavor, high fat, or just rich, or you want something to kind of cut through that. And a chimichurri is an awesome, awesome, awesome sauce that you, you know, if you make it, it's perfect. It's great for everything. And I actually made it, we, you put it on salmon. It was dynamite. And no cooking, bingo, bango, bongo, you got something good. So I, I, I thought, well, it's kind of dumb. So, so I'm making the chimichurri. I burn the fucking bread. Oh, don't worry about that. You know, I'm making up some face. It's humiliating and uh, no respect for the bread. And then in my thought, my thinking is just like, you wouldn't really serve chimichurri right now. I only got a half an hour. So then afterwards I played it. The steak came out perfect, except it, the color was great. Medium rare, looked awesome. I couldn't believe it. I cooked it on the radiant heat of a piece of steel. But it was acrid as fuck. And when I say acrid, I mean bitter. And when I mean bitter, it tasted like shit. And the reason was, was because I used olive oil. I rubbed, I rubbed the meat with olive oil and then salt and pepper. Because that's what I normally do when I'm grilling something. The problem with the fucking alcohol, the problem with the goddamn olive oil is it's got a very low smoking point. Olive oil really isn't for... You can use it for grilling because grilling doesn't really go past 700 degrees. You can get a grill up to 700 degrees. Your your olive oil might not like it at 700 degrees, but you can make it happen. You know, you put the grill marks on it. Everybody wants to see some grill marks, and you need some kind of fat to do that. At 1,500 degrees, olive oil says, fuck you. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm going to fucking, like, I'm going to disintegrate. Fuck you. I'm olive oil. The 600 degrees is not my department. Fuck you. I'm going to fuck up this fucking nice, perfectly nice steak. So when I tasted it, I was like, God, these motherfuckers in, in Pennsylvania, they like their shit acrid. Acrid is now part of the flavor, flavor profile of the fucking Pittsburgh steak. And then I realized it's because I use that fucking olive oil. So I apologize, olive oil. So I've disrespected the, the bread. I've... I have no respect for the bread, and I have no respect for olive oil for cooking. I'm stupid. Fine. So I finished the thing. It tasted great. I cleaned it up. I was so annoyed, but I was glad that I did it because I took. there were some takeaways. The takeaways were fuck off with the olive oil, number one. Number two, don't, I didn't, I shouldn't, I had to adjust it so the steak wasn't being actually touched. I didn't want it to be touched by the um, by the steel, you're gonna start to hear it's raining now. I'm actually outside my shop right now. You're gonna start to hear the rains. This is gonna be part of this is gonna be part of the 
the whole experience of this mania, right? And I haven't even gotten to the goddamn main part. So let me get, so here's the, here's the takeaway for the, the practice run. The takeaway for the practice run is fuck off with the olive oil. Don't make the chimichurri ahead. Why? What's the point? Why don't I make the chimichurri ahead and show, oh, we just made the chimichurri, look, I made the chimichurri here. They're doing some stuff ahead. Why shouldn't I make stuff ahead? And then try to raise up this plate against the steel so it's at least an eighth to a quarter from touching. So I got some, I got the one, two, three blocks down on the one inch side. And then I got some three sixteenths spacers. So I'm now, and I tested it. I tested to see the height. So it's going to be hovering over. It's not going to touch the stake. It's going to be hovering over it because I didn't want it to look burnt because that's what was, what would have happened. And watch the fucking bread and don't be stupid. So I did the practice, talked to Tony. I told, I showed him the video. He thought it was funny. He said, it's fine. Don't worry. Nobody cares. Blah, blah, blah. So I made my adjustments now I'm getting ready for the big day, doing a lot of promotion on Knife Talk, did a lot of promotion on Instagram, and Charlie's doing promotion, I'm doing promotion, getting people in here, I want to get people fired up, I want people to have a good time because we all need a good laugh. I wasn't going to sit around and just be nervous because nobody cares. You don't need to be nervous, you need to have be a little bit animated. You know, and I'm just like, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I guess it was... Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, I thought I got the shit. I got the table ready. I got war, I got my travel. I know I know how to. I'm, I figured out how I was going to move the camera by, with one hand, so I could get myself in front of the anvil. I knew how to just and then twist it to get back onto the shop. But then how's it going to look where there's two boxes where Charlie's on top and I'm on the bottom and the Instagram live with two people talking? It looks fucked up. So I decided to go on Instagram Live. And I went on Instagram Live and I'm getting all fired up and, you know, just kind of... Usually I'm going on Instagram Live. Sometimes I do it for between a, uh, before a podcast just to kind of get the old pipes going, get the blood flowing, trying to get myself all fired up for all this nonsense and bullshit that I do. You understand? That's why you're here. So I went on and, and um, I kind of also kind of curated the back of the shop, my background, so it looked interesting. And obviously it should, shouldn't look like, I mean, I'm cooking in a shop, so I should, it should look very shoppy. So I have this tire hammer behind me and then I have this space, blank space. <clears throat> and I see that there's uh, this blank space. I'm like, what can I put in there? And I have this old, I have this old sculpture that I did for, as a senior project. When I was an art major, and it looks like, imagine the letter C, and the top is a ring. The one end is a ring that's on a uh, on a hanging from a hanging from a nail, and then it, the letter C and the bottom part of the C is a lobster claw. So it looks like a, almost like a circle. It's like a semicircle with a lobster claw and it has a handle and it has a, you know, these big rivets on it. So it looks like a bent lobster claw style wrench. And somebody said to me on Instagram, well, what's that? And I said, well, you've heard of a monkey wrench. Well, this is a lobster wrench. Ha 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 ha. So stupid. And it comes from this lobster wrench came from me not listening. <laughs> I didn't listen to myself. And when I was a senior in college and I was an art major, we had our senior project. 
So they were trying to figure out what we were all going to do. And our, and our, our teachers and our mentors were our, 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 our advisors were kind of helping us towards our senior project, which is the final show. So at the time I started doing these giant fishing lures and I was all fired up about these fishing lures. And in the summertime, I was doing, uh, I was working for other artists and one of the artists was a, a sculptor and we were a metal sculptor and we were making all these tools that we needed that we couldn't buy, kind of like how blacksmiths do now. So we'd make tweaking bars and we'd make, you know, whatever, anything we needed. And he was fascinated. I brought back all these tools that I had made and he was like, you should do a show on these, on tools because the beauty of tools is you don't know exactly, sometimes if you don't know exactly what it does, you get the idea of which it's directional and how it works and you, it makes your mind wander. What would you do with that? So I was just like, yeah, but I kind of want to do lures, giant lures. He goes, ah, no, that's too kitschy. Don't do that. Do, do, do the, do the, do the, do the tools. I promise you. Because at the time I was on the road to distinction. I was like, I sucked at school. I loved sculpture. I loved yard classes. I am going for the highest honors in, in the, in that you can get when you graduate. I wanted to graduate with distinction. And my advisor, who's on the distinction board, just told me, this is, this is what you should be doing. As in, this is what's going to get you. you. go in this direction. This is what's going to get you distinction. So the pressure was on. I should have stuck to my guns and be like, don't fucking worry about distinction. Make the fucking lures. Because every time I made a lure, I sold it immediately. And these tools, I made this one thing that was like for melting lead and then like a tiny cauldron. And then I, all the handles were, were welded on. I get these big inch pieces of rebar and then I would weld the rebar on the inch rebar and it looked like a handle. And I made these stupid train spike sickles and I was making these strange, strange tools that ultimately looked like weapons. And when it came right down to it, it ended, the show ended up looking like a fucking S&M show, you know, fucking just not the direction I really wanted to go. That's the thing about art. You have an idea and you, and then once you put it up on a white wall, all of a sudden you're just like, wow, I really didn't really think this thing through. I mean, it wasn't like dongs and stuff like that, but I mean, it was clearly, clearly not my it was like when you put everything up and you're looking around and you're kind of gut sinks. You're just like, God damn it. I didn't really think about how this fucking thing was going to look. And it looked like a goddamn S and M show. And that was not my intention. And I didn't get distinction and it was my heart wasn't into it. And I should have fucking listened to myself. And I'm telling this story during the Instagram live to the guy who asked me, what's that fucking thing on your wall? That lobster claw. And I'm telling this story and I'm telling this story. If I shouldn't have goddamn listened to that teacher, I should have fucking trusted myself. This goddamn thing kind of put me down the wrong road. I wanted distinction. I started throwing myself around like I am doing right now. This is, what did I say? What did I call this? A moment of truth. I'm giving you, I'm giving you my moment of truth. And I'm fucking laying this guy out. And I love this teacher and he's still someone I really look up to, but he fucked me on this one. He fucked me. He fucked me on this, on this direction. There was a fork in the road. Listen to yourself, go right. Listen to somebody else, go left. And then at the time, I'd been so used to being gaslit by by older people. And you know what gaslighting is. It's a word that people are using a lot now. And a lot of gaslighting when it comes down to it. The story is, is this guy was trying to kill his wife. 
and he was kind of constantly like upping the amount of gas in the house. And when she started to say, I feel like there's something wrong in the air, there's something wrong in the gas. And he'd be like, oh, no, no, everything's fine. Oh, you're crazy. You're being crazy. Don't worry about it. You're crazy. And then she, he fucking killed her with gas and she knew that she was right, but he was, he knew, he knew that he was lying to her and he was telling the, her that she was crazy. That's gaslighting. My old man used to do that to me. I would say something and instead of him saying, that's an interesting take, I never thought of it like that, or wow, that's a really interesting way to think about it, or huh, you have quite an opinion, or whatever. He said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And what that does is that makes you feel, that makes them try to make you feel disrespected and then they're trying to make you feel dumb. And it, it, it really, at a young age, dad, look how blue the sky is. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. The sky's not blue. Hey dad, this fucking hamburger tastes great. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. This tastes like shit. You understand years and years of that gaslighting can have an effect. So I was, I felt like, well, you know, and then it got to the point where I was very susceptible to anyone who was older than me in terms of, in terms of they would say something I'd be like, well, they're older than me. Obviously they know better than I do. And it got to the point where I had very, very little faith in my own decision-making. If somebody could be just a couple months older than me, if they had an idea that they thought I was wrong and they were right, I would just ultimately just not trust myself. And I was ultimately gaslighting myself. Well, I obviously don't know what my dad's been saying. You don't know what you're talking about. So I fucking listen. So this teacher said to me, you should really do this. And then I said, you don't know what you're, he said, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm talking about. Obviously I should listen to this teacher. And here we are. So I didn't do what I wanted. I ended up listening to the goddamn teacher. I fucking made an S and M show and it was, I didn't get distinction either. Fuck. And all I have left is this goddamn lobster claw hanging from my goddamn wall. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to use this as decoration for my shop. Am I nuts? Have I lost my mind? And in a heated moment, and I have this, if you go to Fader Knives on Instagram and go into my highlights or go to my Instagram stories, IGTV, I'm saving those episodes. So that whole episode is on my IGTV at Fader Knives. So I'm telling this story. I'm getting worked up. I'm having my moment of truth. I'm fucking pissed. God damn it. I've been gaslit for, gas for too long. Fuck this thing. I picked it up off the fucking wall and I heaved it across the shop. Totally dramatic. And I was the thing. I'm losing my mind at this thing. I'm feeling all fucking fired up. And I think, how can I make this? How can I make this anymore? I mean, you can't just be a chicken shit. Go fucking lift this thing off the wall and throw it across the shop. So if you go to IGTV on Fader Knives, you can see it and you can see me just throw it across the goddamn shop, bounce it off the floor. And as it should have, it broke. And the wooden handles, which I use two by fours for the scales, it's cracked, snapped, whatever. And I immediately thought to myself, that was so unnecessary. And I even looked at the camera and I said, that was so unnecessary. And I'm looking at that goddamn thing and I thought to myself, that was so unnecessary. It was great for the, it was great for the Instagram live. It was great dramatics, 
but it was super unnecessary. So I picked it up. I saw the fucking scales are broken, but the rivets are holding it all together and it's all scuffed up and I put it back and I'm like, Oh, don't worry. That was unnecessary. And I give it a pat and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And that was no way to treat you. And that you're part of my history. And I don't know what the hell's the matter with me. And everyone's like, Whoa, you know, everyone's flipping out. It was funny. It was such a fucking, it was such a fucking weird moment. And I was like, what is wrong with me? So then, um, I finished that one. So yeah, go watch that. And, and, and all of a sudden it was like, it was this very cathartic. Cause it's like, God damn, this thing represents me not listening to people. And now I'm listening to myself and I listen to myself. I throw the fucking thing on the floor, listening to myself, trusting myself, trusting my judgment and realizing immediately that that was foolish. So it was just like totally double self-sabotage. I mean, you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. I blamed myself for not listening to someone. Then I listened to myself by saying, let's fucking throw this thing. And then I immediately regretted it after I threw it. And then I was like, there you go. That's what you get for listening to yourself. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is, I think I gotta be out of my fucking mind. Moment of truth. All right. That's my moment of truth for that moment. I realized, all right, things I should have recorded that as a podcast. Now I've added it to this the emergency episode. We're here. So where are we? So I've stopped that. I'm all fired up. Now it's Thursday. I, Wednesday, I get everything prepped. I bought a steak. And then when I enrolled it, watch out when you buy steaks in a supermarket, ladies and germs. If it's a skirt steak, a lot of times they roll them up and then they put them in the package. And if they roll, when you see it, it looks plumper than it actually is. Because then when you open up the package and then you roll it out, it's fucking flat. As a, I mean, it's like a three-eighths of an inch thick. And with a skirt steak, especially if you get it from a supermarket, there's a bit of silver skin. It's part of the abdomen. It's part. It's inside. It's inside the meat of the, the cage of the. I don't listen. I'm not a fucking butcher, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't. I don't know exactly where it is, but I know that it'll be fine. So um, there's a silver skin. So you got to pull out that silver skin. But if the goddamn thing is like a quarter of an inch thick. It's very hard to pull that silver skin off. And then next thing you know, you got Swiss cheese. So I'm like, all right, fine. I'll get another fucking steak. So I, I went to I went to Cole's, uh, this great butcher down by me. And they had a beautiful steak. And then I went to this. I got this. I got this. I got that. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, because I'm going to have it on the plate. And what I'm going to do is I got, Chris made me two plates. One, I only need one. I thought I needed two just in case. I only needed one. And I decided, well, I'll season the second one, put in a little bit of uh, vegetable oil over it, put it at 400 degrees in the oven, let it run, and then it kind of like seasons it like you season a frying pan. That's how you season a frying pan. Pro tip, if you're seasoning a prop frying pan, you clean out all the rust and you get it all nice and you wipe it with vegetable oil and you put it in your oven, put it in your oven upside down. Pro tip. That means the, olive, the extra uh, vegetable oil won't pool up so you'll have the it'll kind of like it'll just you'll have a very even coat and then you put it in 400 degrees hour turn it off let it cool down your oven so that's how you that's how you season a pan do it upside down upside down in the oven no oil will pool that's what you don't want. you don't want some fucking gunk you don't want fucking gunk at the bottom of your pan you spend all this time you don't need any gunk moment of truth. So where were we? So I seasoned one of 
uh, Chris's plates. And I thought, this will be perfect. I'll plate it on that. I'll plate it on the plate, on the pl- on the plate that Chris made. It'll look great. And then I'll have the bread. Then I'll have the steak. And then I'll have the green chimichurri. And I'm looking for something else. I don't know. I'm thinking, right, Charlie and Scotty, they put fucking chive sticks everywhere. And they're, you know, like tweezering in flowers. And they're tweezering in all this shit. And then I'm just like, I need to, like, jazz it up. And I'm looking for something red, and I can't find something red. And I think, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a piece. I'm going to take a steel leaf. And I'm going to keep it in the oven at the very end. I'm going to put this hot piece, hot steel leaf onto the plate. And then they'll have this red. And, I'll, oh, that's going to be great. And then all of a sudden I realized I need a, one more thing. I need one more thing. And I realized that I have in my, in my refrigerator, we have shishito peppers. You know about a shishito pepper? They're these awesome little peppers that if you saute them in a pan and you blister them, they're tiny. They're like a one by You toss them in a pan with olive oil. And then at the end, you put them in a bowl while they're hot. And then you squeeze on lemon juice and some kosher salt and you toss them all up. It is the awesome. It's the one of the best bar snacks of all time. And they look great. They're tiny. You take one bite. And the whole idea of this was these were supposed to be little bites. I'm in a metal shop. I'm not going to sit down with a fucking fork and a knife. I want it to be like almost like tapas. So then I start to load up. I prep the steak on the sizzle platter. I got a sheet tray. I wrote a list down, a list of everything I need to do. I want to get my my, my uh, the new knife, the Admiral ready. I'm going to show that fucker off. I got, the, I got this. I clean this up. I got these. I got that. I'm going to try to not use as many, uh, I'm going to use as many tools to cook this meat, this this whole dish, as opposed to using cooking stuff. So I wanted it to be a real contrast between those two guys are going to be in their chef coats, and then I'm going to be, you know, fucked up in a shop, dark shop, and I'm not going to wear like I'm just going to wear the what I normally wear. And I wanted to I wanted to be this very big contrast and blah blah blah. Get everything ready, bring it to the shop. I'm all fired up, and I'm fucking nervous. So now it's after lunch. I'm super happy because uh, I had figured out, I finished uh, uh, disc grinding all my sandwich knives and they're all ready for hand sanding and I fucking disc grind them so well. It's only going to take me half an hour to, to hand sand each knife, which is like a goddamn dream. It's a goddamn dream. So um, I'm fired up about that. I come back to the shop after lunch. Now it's one o'clock. I got until four. I got a I got a pre-show meeting at 3:40. I set it up. I try the phone. I set it up. I figure out my angles. I figure out my moves. I got Sharpie marker on the table where the pedestal is going to go, so you can see the top of the. So what I'm going to do is I have this pedestal. It's going to come out right at the at the right in front. I'm going to hide it behind the camera, and then when I'm ready to plate, I'm going to pull the pedestal out. And then I'm going to put the plate on top of the pedestal. And then I'm going to make my little sandwiches on the cutting board and then feed them onto the plate. So you are, the viewer is at eye level to the plate. I want, that's what I want because they got too much going on. They got Randall's running around with a goddamn camera and you can't tell what's going on and it's too much. I wanted, that's in my vision. I knew what I wanted. I wanted, I'm going to turn the camera once to see the thing. Then turn to turn the camera, and then I'm going to pull into the pull it pull the pedestal in when I'm ready to plate. Put it on the plate. Put the sandwich the 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 bread on with the steaks, and then I'm going to put the chimichurri on. Put the garnish on. Bingo, bango, bongo. It's fucking done. All I have to do is make sure the steak comes out comes out perfect. 
because I'm not a professional chef. I went to culinary school. I cooked for two days at, at Oriole. I spent a little bit of time in the kitchens at Alva and from other places. I cooked for my family for the past fucking 35 years. My father was a trained chef. I felt that I needed to prove myself that I can do this. But at the same time, I'm going to make as many jokes as possible. So, here we are. When I'm getting ready for the, I'm getting ready for the event, and the cars, uh, the cars, I parked the car, got everything squared away, and all of a sudden, I'm getting, I'm pacing. I got everything where it needs to be, everything's the temperature, I got, I'm going to pair it with my friends over at Captain Lawrence. Captain Lawrence is going to, uh, I'm going to use their beer to, to pair with, it's going to be great, and everything is ready to go. And I'm pacing, talking, I'm pacing, talking about, uh, trying to be as organized as possible. I even do these for podcasts where I will talk something through and talk something through and, you know, try to get the phrasing right and try to, the most important thing for me is to be as organized as possible because then I don't feel as though I'm being, when I'm too spontaneous or I wing it too much, that's when the bullshit happens. That even this episode, I kind of understood where I was going. I understood where I'm going to be. I understand how it's going to go. So I try to over-organize myself because when I do that, it always turns out well. I got everything ready to go. I feel like I'm ready. And now I'm working on the phrasing of stuff. I did not really practice the whole uh, shishito, shishito, but I'm, I'm feeling confident that it should be easy enough. So, here we are. 3.30 comes around. I go to the meeting. They're all fired up. Tony's on the other... I mean, Scotty and Scotty and, uh, and Charlie are on the other line, and they are laughing it up. They're ready. They know me. All the people who've been on that show before, they don't really know Charlie and, and Scotty, and they're not... You know, they don't have a boisterous situation. I have a very... You know, I... I fool around with Scotty and Charlie. We have a couple laughs, break each other's balls. We've known each other. We don't, we feel comfortable enough that we have the respect for each other that we know that we can fool around. And I understand that this thing is going to be slightly entertaining. I can't just sit down and look nervous. So I get on the conference call right before the show. Oh, Jay Jeff, it's Charlie. I can't wait to, Scotty's talking a lot of shit. He's going to, he feels like he's going to kick your ass today. And I'm like, all right, just calm down. Don't worry. You better call the fire department, Fader. We know what you're going to do. You better call the fire. It's jocular on the conference call. They can't, you know, the people involved, you know, the, like the, the behind the scenes people can't keep us. They, we're going to be fine. We have chemistry. We're going to fuck around. They know we're going to fuck around. They don't need, we don't need tips. We have natural chemistry. Charlie and I have done a couple events together where we work well together. Don't worry. So then my business partner, Tony, comes up. He was in traffic. He came up. And he comes up five minutes before it starts to start. I'm showing him everything. We're doing some last-minute tune-ups. How should I cut the bread? Should I cut the bread at an angle? And he said, I cut it at an angle. So do this. Last-minute zhuzhing, right? 3.55 comes on. I'm ready to fucking go taken a couple takes i've taken like three or four leaks which is i'm known to do before i do anything i think that i 
my something's up with my prostate because all of a sudden when I do these podcasts, I got to take like three or four leaks. I don't know if it's a bladder thing, a prostate thing. I am getting older. I don't know. But here's what I know. I like to take a leak before I do everything. I don't want that thought that I have to go to the bathroom. I wouldn't mind going to the bathroom right now, but I can't press pause on QuickTime. So I'm going to ride this motherfucker out. You're going to ride this motherfucker out with me. It's also going to, you know, allow me to leave on a, in, a, in a timely manner. I get on the Instagram. It's 3.59. I am ready. I could have done this at fucking three. I'm like, time is like very, being on time is very important to me. I don't miss deadlines. You say to be there at four, I'm there at four. 3.59, four o'clock, 4.01, 4.02. I don't see that little goddamn Charlie Palmer's live. I don't see it. And now 4.02, I start cursing. Tony, where the hell is this guy? What the fuck is going on here? What do you think, what kind of job? I'm getting worked up right, right away. I'm getting worked up right away. And uh, I'm feeling like that's good. This is getting me, you know, getting the juices flowing, getting the blood flowing. I'm having I'm having a, a moment of truth. A moment of truth. I'm having another moment of truth. What the fuck? What the, where the hell is this guy? You know, what the, what the hell are we doing? I say four o'clock. It's four o'clock. So there's his little goddamn icon. And he's, and he's already started in. And then I, like... For some reason, it won't allow me to request. It won't allow me to request uh, entry. So then they send me like a uh, a request to come on, and I tap that button and it's not working. I tap it again, and it's not working. Next thing you know, Scotty and Charlie are just standing there waiting for me to come on. Look at look at this knife. Look, what do you think of this knife? I mean, they weren't. They weren't. You know, the I would say that the uh, they were prepared for me to. They were prepared for me to come on. They, there wasn't a whole lot of room for, uh, you know, small talk, I guess. So then finally, they're like, Fader, where are you? And I finally get on. And as soon as I get on, they said, Fader, where are you? Know, are you ready? And I'm like, all the time. And I am like shot out of a cannon. Fucking pissed. Shot out of a cannon. Oh, I'm here. Where the hell were you guys? What, look at the goddamn time. What the hell's going on? I'm already complaining, but funny complaining. That's the thing. The key is is not to be too serious. You have to be a little bit jovial about it. Meanwhile, I have changed the schedule on my oven. I changed the schedule on my oven for this reason. I was keeping it at 1,500 degrees to get the plates at 1,500 degrees. And then I'd hold her for 15 minutes. And then I would have another 15 minutes. And then I'd have the, the, the setting timers go off and whatever. So what I did for the event was I changed the temperature, the final temperature to be 1,600 degrees, an extra 100 degrees, and then I added an extra 15-minute segment. And the reason why is because I just wanted to make sure that I had these segments in place. I had my timing involved. I knew where I was, but also because I needed to start that fucking oven early because I didn't want it. I wanted, that, I wanted the plate to be 1,600 degrees when, as soon as it started and when it held, because I don't know how long I was going to use it, I needed it held because you don't want to say, well, wait, Charlie, I'm waiting for the kill. I wanted that fucker going. I had thought this thing through. And I even heated one of, the, one of the plates up at 1,600 degrees because I thought that I would lose that immediate uh, 100 degrees as soon as I pulled it out. I noticed 
between 1500 degrees to 1600 degrees, a big difference in the plate. 1600 degrees, tons of scale started to form. And what I didn't want is that scale to pop off onto the steak. That would have been awful because all you knife makers and metal workers would have fucking lit me up. You're not cooks, but you're fucking sure, you sure do know when scale pops off. So I had the wire brush ready. I was all prepared. I was all squared away. What do you do? So I'm explaining to Charlie what we're doing. This is what we're going to do. And it was really interesting. He's like, should I start cooking? He's like, yeah, fader, start cooking. He starts cooking and, and, uh, he's, so here's how it's working. My side, I have the camera facing me in uh, selfie mode so I can see where I am on the screen and I can see him and hear him, right? He has a camera person, Randall or Hannah or whoever's over there. They're walking around filming him, but they can't see him. He can't see what's going on on the screen. So he can hear me, but he can't see me, right? So I pull out the state. What are you gonna? What are you doing over there? So I pull out the plate. I slam it on the anvil to make some noise. I take my wire brush. I give it these big, strong sweeps, and I hear, "What the hell are you doing over there? You looks like you're. You sounds like you're beating the joint up." Don't worry, Charlie. I'm, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. I put the fucking the plate on top of the spacers on top of the 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 uh, one two three blocks, and the steak is starting to cook. It look it's fucking and it's not a ton of smoke because I'm not touching the plate, and it's fucking looking good. And then Charlie turns around, he looks at the thing, he's like, "Whoa, look at that!" And I'm like, "Look how good it is." He's like, "Look at all that smoke." He's like, "The fire department's gonna come," and I'm making jokes. Don't worry, Charlie. If fire department comes, I'll have plates and knives and forks for them. They know what the bullshit I'm doing over here, and I'm not cursing. Believe it or not, I'm not cursing. So the steak is going, I'm all, I'm impressed. I'm impressed and it's not as much smoke as when I had it the first time because there's not any olive oil I'm not touching and nothing's burning. I used vegetable oil. I used vegetable oil on the steak, just a little, just a little bit, just to get a little color. So Scotty and Charlie are talking, I'm talking, they can't, they can't see me. I'm trying to go between focusing on them and focusing on what I'm doing. One minute passes, a minute and a half passes, small talk, small talk. I flip the steak. I still have residual heat. The steak looks good. Look at this, Charlie. Look how good this color is, Charlie. Fucking hold the steak up to the camera. Hold the steak up to the camera like a maniac. Flip. He's like, oh, you're flipping it already? He has put his steaks in a cast iron pan. And he's like, oh. I flip the steak after a minute and a half, right? Another minute and a half on the other side. And I do the touch. I ch- touch the cheese muscle. It's sprung back. Now, this steak is probably at the thickest part. It's half an inch thick. Half an inch thick. It's generally about half an inch thick. So if I touch the cheese muscle on my hand, yeah, that's right. Put your thumb in your fist and you got your cheese muscle. And, if you, and, if you, and don't squeeze it too tight. If it's just the cheese, that's rare. I touch the thickest part of the steak. Fucking cheese muscle rare. Pull the steak. I wanted to carry it over. I'm pulling the steak at rare. It's going to carry over cook, right? I pull it out. I put it on the rack. The steak has been cooking for maybe three minutes. And don't fucking quote me. I'm just telling you. Now, Scott, Charlie's got his steaks on the on the thing, blah, blah, blah. Now I have the chimichurri going. And now I'm fucking confident. I'm going to let the steak rest. I've already, It only took me three minutes to cook this goddamn steak. 
I'm gonna let it rest. I'm gonna toast the bread. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the shishito shishito peppers, throw it in the sizzle pan with all the steak juices. I'm gonna roast them under that residual heat. So now we're four minutes out or five minutes out. The I, I took a, the the plate is still 800 degrees. So I'm slowly roasting that, and then I thought, oh, let's fucking do some bread. Now I'm starting to get arrogant because the hard work is done. The steak looks great, fucking smells great, and as far as the cheese touch test goes, on the fucking money. I'm telling you it's on the money. I'm convinced it's on the money, and it's going to just sail right into being perfect. And now I'm starting to bullshit with Charlie, and as I'm bullshitting with Charlie, I start to smell the burning bread. So I put a piece of bread on the top, and that fucking thing just starts burning. So my worst, my worst, the thing I tried to not do, I tried to respect the bread. I still couldn't respect respect the bread. I grab it with a pair of tongs and I fucking wing it across. Oh, don't worry about that. Don't, don't worry about that one. I wing it. No one sees it. Charlie can't see because the cameraman is on him and he he's too busy. So the steak is resting. I tried a couple new pieces of bread. The shishitos are done. Put the shishitos in a uh, metal pan, a metal bowl. That I have a squeeze bottle full of olive oil. Squeeze bottle is a very important part to this fucking story. So the squeeze bottle's on the side, and I have a lemon, and now I just threw the chichitos in the metal bowl. I'm gonna give it, once it's ready, I'm gonna give it a little squeeze of olive oil. I'm gonna give it a squeeze of lemon juice, a little salt, toss it up, make it look like a thing. I got the bread right. Now the the three new pieces of bread, toasted perfect. I, I rubbed some some garlic garlic butter on them put them on the thing i'm ready to fucking plate i cut the steak there's an expression called coast to coast coast to coast means that there is that it is seared on the outsides and it's a uniform pink in the middle the hardest thing to get without using you would to get coast to coast you would use uh, a sous vide machine where you're cooking it in a, in a in a it's in a plastic bag in like really super uh, warm water, and then your sous vide is cooking the water at boiling the water at a certain temperature for a period of time. And then what happens is is um, the sous vide's cooking, and then at the end of whatever, all you do is sear the outside, and then you end up with a very uniform cook. So you got burnt on the top, or my mistake. You have seared on the top, seared on the bottom, coast to coast pink, and it's there's no brown lines or whatever. This steak that I cooked with this method, fucking coast to coast. I forgot to add one thing. After a minute or so on each side, I raised, I raised the, uh, so I seared it on in a minute and a half, then flipped it over, seared it on another minute and a half, and then I raised the block to the two inches. So now the steel plate was two inches off the steel uh, off the off the instead of it being an um like an eighth of an inch off of uh the 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 top it was now a full an extra inch it was an extra inch away and then what that does is it slowly roasted it so i don't need to burn the outside anymore now i want to get some temperature so i did a minute at a at a higher level so then and then after i rested it when i cut this goddamn steak fucking coast to coast it was perfect it was fucking perfect the bread's perfect i take the bread i cut the slices 
I mean, this was perfectly cut, perfectly cut. And beforehand, when I'm still resting, I put a total of three and a half minutes, maybe four minutes of cooking time on that steak. Charlie's already slicing his. And I stopped the, how could you, and I said to him, Charlie, what the, I didn't say what the fuck, but I'm thinking, what the fuck? How could you possibly be cutting your steak? You couldn't have cut your steak faster than me. There's no way you couldn't have cooked your steak and rested it in under four minutes. You couldn't. I, mine was still resting. Mine had been cooking for four, four and a half minutes. He started slicing. I said, what the, what is going on? And he goes, oh, that's the, that's the magic of television. He had a, he had one ready to roll. He had one ready to roll. He tried to put the old one, two, three on me and I caught him. He tried to, I should have done that too, but I didn't. I wanted to make this thing realistic. So he had something on the side. So he had three skirt steaks sitting around, you know, sitting in the frying pan. But then he had some behind him. And I said to him, there's just no way. And I called him out and he laughed. We laughed, broke each other. Honestly, it doesn't matter. But I was, I needed to throw a little bit of energy in there. And part of it was, there's just no way you can cook that steak faster than, than the 1600 degree steak method. It can't. Okay. So I'm plating it up cut the steak fucking coast to coast beautiful i'm looking at scott tony's behind the camera he's giving me the okay symbol like nice job tony is a professional chef he used to be the executive chef at oriel motherfuckers cook more steaks than anybody else he understands what it's supposed to look like he he said it looked great i put the toast i put the i put the steak on and i and i've pulled the pedestal out and I put the plate on. So now the eye level of the camera sees me in the background, the plate in the front. And then I start to place the, the bread and the steak on the, on the plate. And it's like, kind of like when you see a, a sushi guy putting the sushi on, on the plate. If you see him, if you see them plating it, they'll have the table, they'll have the, the dish on top of the sushi bar. And then they'll make the sushi piece and they'll put it up. It was kind of looked like that. Get the chimichurri out, put the chimichurri on. Put the chimichurri on. Don't be cheap, Charlie, right? I said, I'm yelling at Charlie. Look at how good this looks. The plate's black. The steak is red. The goddamn chimichurri is green. Yeah, don't be... I'm not going to be cheap with this chimichurri, right, Charlie's? Yeah, don't be cheap. You know, the kids love it. Then I cut my chives. I sprinkle the chives on. Looking good. Now it's time to put the shishito peppers on. And this is where it all fucking falls apart. The whole fucking thing falls apart. I don't know what I was thinking. I had I have no idea what I was thinking. But I grabbed the squeeze bottle full of olive oil that I was supposed to squeeze a little bit onto the shishito peppers into the metal pan. Toss them in the toss them in the metal pan. A little bit of salt, a little squeeze of lemon juice, a little bit of flair. Plate the shishito peppers. I don't know what happened, but I took the squeeze bottle, brought it up to the finished steak sandwiches that were already there, and I squeezed, I was going to squeeze a little bit in my mind, I'm thinking, get a little gloss on there, get a little bit of shine on there, get a little bit of shine, just a little bit, I don't know what, I was arrogant, I was bullshitting with Charlie, calling him out, hey, you had a steak in the background, and... It was a disaster. The top of the squeeze bottle was not on properly. Or 
when I squeezed it, I might have squeezed it so tight that the fucking threads popped out and the top fell off. So I'm like, oh, now it's time for a little olive oil. I put the olive oil up. The fucking top comes off. The whole container of olive oil spills over the whole plate. All the finished steak, all the fucking chimichurri, all the chives, all the table. It's all over the table. And you can hear me go, oh, God. I fucking grabbed it. I squeezed it. The fucking top came off. Everything is soaked with oil. Oh, God. And all you can hear me say is, oh, God. And I'm staring into the camera. I'm fucking done, dude. I am at the finish line. I'm at the fucking finish line. And I tripped over my shoelaces. And the only other thing I could hear is Tony go, like a noise. He just made a noise like, I fucking ruined the whole thing. And then I'm like looking, I'm smiling like, well, what can you do? What can you, I'm not looking at the comments. What can you do? What can you do? So I immediately grabbed, so, so Tony's, so Charlie's going, hey, you're almost done. How's it going over there? Oh, it's fine. I see him look and he's making this kind of frumpled face because I have this like plate covered in olive oil. The food is covered in olive oil. Just covered. And he's just kind of like, it's like squinting to try to, his eyes look like they're trying to focus on whatever the fuck I'm doing. And he just can't, as soon as his eyes just kind of like start to focus, I pull the fucking plate down. I throw, I throw, I move it to the side and get rid of everything. I frantically start cutting bread. I got more steak and and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm saying, oh no, we've already finished. And I know that he can't see me. So I'm like, oh, we just finished the first plate. I'm going to make another plate. And I'm fucking just laughing. And I'm just like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I was at the fucking goal line. I was at the goal line and I fumbled. I was at the goal line. I tripped. I was at the finish line and I tripped. I was at the fucking end and I tripped. I was at the edge of the the cliff and I fell off. I fucked the whole thing up. At the end, at the dumbest part, all I had to do was, I didn't even have to bring that goddamn olive oil. There was no reason to bring that goddamn olive oil. All I had to do is take the shishito peppers, put them on, and it's done. I don't even know what I was thinking. Frantically taking bread and more of this and put it back on and wipe the plate off and and Scott and Tony's saying, just, just put it back on. I'll never notice. I'll never notice. I'm like, oh, I gotta do new. And Charlie's going, what are you doing over there? What are you doing over there? I'm like, oh, nothing. You know, we just finished the first plate. Let's go for the next. So I replayed everything. It's fucking harried. And then, uh, he's, he's, you know, then they're all of a sudden they're breaking my balls. Meanwhile, they had the steak already made. They had the bread already made. They had the sauces already made. All they just did is put the fucking sandwich together. No disrespect. I'm with you. I should have done the same thing. I should have fucking done the same thing. I shouldn't have even done the fucking bread. I shouldn't have even done the toast. I shouldn't have even tried to season the fucking shishito peppers. I should have just stuck them right on. I shouldn't have even brought the olive oil. But I did. And then I didn't put the shishito peppers on. And then all of a sudden he's like, what are you drinking, fit? And through the whole thing, he he's asking me questions. I can't hear him because I got a million things going on. I got the even heat beeper beeping because I've had it on 15 minute segments and I'm trying to turn that fucking thing off. I got like, I feel like I'm under control. And then I just, I mean, it was like, 
I never in my life had something like that happen to me where I was cooking something and the whole fucking, it was like when you, when you were a kid and your friends would play a joke on you and they would, uh, take the top off the salt and they'd throw the salt on and then, you know, or you take the top off and put it on very loosely. So when you try to put a little salt on, you get, uh, you get a, what you, you know, fall, all the salt falls off. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And I get the spear of Captain Lauren, Captain Lauren, chef. And this was a lot of fun. <sighs> Thanks for having me on. That was a lot of fun. And they were like, we think we won. I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't give a fuck. And I, at this point, I just like, ah, go ahead. If you fucking want, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Go ahead. At this point, I've already lost because I lost my cool and I looked dumb and, uh, but it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. And you can't help but laugh because it's ridiculous. And he's like, oh, we think we're, ours looks better. I'm like, yes, yours look better. Yes, yes. Two professional chefs, yours look better. I dropped a whole fucking jar of olive oil on my finished plate, ruined it. Yes, you won. Yes, yours looks better. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes. The answer is yes. You have won. God bless you. Got nine restaurants. And I'm sure all your squeeze bottles are fucking tight and you don't fucking overdo it with the squeeze bottles. I'm with you. I know. I'm with you. This is your my moment of truth. Congratulations. I do think, I do think, if I didn't have that olive oil problem, the way I plated everything, the way I filmed everything, the inventiveness of the way I cooked the steak perfectly, I would have fucking won. Period. You you get rid of that fucking olive oil, mine would have won. I would have won. From the whole thing, mine would have won. Fine. But that's my fault. That's my fault. It's my fault. I shouldn't have gotten arrogant. I shouldn't have gotten arrogant. We finished off and, thanks, Charlie. This was a lot of fun. Anything you need, you know, you got, I'm on your team. And he's promoting me. Oh, we're only using fader knives and blah, blah, blah cameras go off I have my hand in my face and I'm looking at Tony's just like quiet he's like quiet he's just like that was funny and then he starts he just starts saying that was really funny you did fine you did fine you did fine and then my phone started ringing and uh I'm like this is fucking terrible and my wife just my wife sends me a fucking (laughs) my wife sends me a gif of a fucking uh we know when you in Texas those oil rigs with the oil spurting out of the top that's all she sends me. And then she, and then Craig Lockwood says, uh, nice job with the olive oil. He said, the czar sends me that all oh, nice job. with the olive oil. And, uh, look, I'm ready for the ball breaking. I'm ready for the ball. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go on a fucking knife talk and I go, they're going to ask me what happened. I'm sure the jokes are going to be awful. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'll take the jokes. I will not take bad ones, though. I will not take your fucking low-hanging fruit jokes. I will not accept low-hanging fruit jokes. I will take the ball-breaking as long as it's good. If you give me some fucking pedestrian, ham and egg or bullshit jokes, you're not... Trust me, I won't laugh. But if you do something funny and it's original, I'm going to laugh. Period. But... The bullshit cheap shot jokes don't expect a fucking chuckle out of me. You might get a fucking slapperoo. I'm not, I, I, no one's more angry at me than me. Nobody. 
because I had it in the fucking bag. And I, I, I just, I had it in the bag, I had it in the bag. I let it slip through my fingers. So clearly I was depressed. I'm going to get my balls broken, which I accept. I fucked up and it was funny. So then they called me up and Charlie said he had a lot of fun and that was the most fun he had had. And I talked to Kristen and Kristen, who's the head of the media, uh, uh, the social media marketing said, that's the most fun we ever had. And that is the most engagement we ever had. There was at least a hundred people in the room at all times. And that was of all the times they've done it. It was the most exciting and he had a great time. We're going to do something again. And they gave my, and they, and they were like, we were pissing in our pants when you drilled the oil, the oil fell all over the place. <sighs> great. You're, I'm glad I could clown it up and I was making faces and I wasn't too serious and I, oh, don't worry about the, no, no problem. And you know, so it was like, it was bittersweet. They were happy. It was entertaining. It was fun. At this point in time, we need a little laughs, right? I mean, I didn't do it on purpose. Let's, let's just put that right out of there for, you know, I'm not, this wasn't just like, watch me fuck this thing up. Watch me make myself look idiotic. I mean, I had to clean olive oil off of everything on that table. That's not, wasn't my idea. That wasn't my idea. So they were happy. I was depressed. And I was just like, you're such a fucking dope. You're dope. You got arrogant. This is a, this is not good. And my, I came home and my wife was just like giving me doe eyes. Like, are you okay? And the messages kept coming in and the fucking nice oil, dude. Nice oil, dude. I'm like, how humiliating, but fine. Look, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And I was just like, it was a lousy week anyway. And I got my poor, our poor cat, Willie passed away last Saturday. It wasn't, you know, I had issues with family members. It wasn't, it wasn't a great week. And then to cap it off with this, I'm cooking with one of the greatest chefs in the country. One of the greatest American chefs, the kind of chef that is, if you have a Legends of American Cuisine, Charlie Palmer's on there, I'm about to whip his ass. I'm about to whip his ass. And I fucking choked when I shouldn't have choked. I shouldn't even, that fucking olive oil shouldn't even been there. That squeeze bottle shouldn't even been there. I got arrogant. I got cocky. I fucked the whole thing up. I could have fucking won the whole thing and I fucked it all up. So you can hear, you can see what, what's going through my head. And I'll give this a whole, I will tell the Knife Talk guys all about it. And I will be, I've gotten it. I'm having my moment of truth right now. My moment, my moment of truth. And I'm getting it out now before I get it on there. We can do, hey man, can I ask you a question? We can answer your question about plunge lines and I'll be snappy and fine. You understand. So I'm all down the dumps. And then um, I got a call from my uncle. My uncle Jay is a wonderful man. He is my, I call him my Solamente. I call him my Solamente because he's my last living uncle. His brother Bill had passed away uh, a number of years ago. And then my father's uncle Buddy had passed away. My father's brother Buddy passed away. So both my uncles, I had three uncles and Jay was the last one. And he was the youngest of all my uncles. And he was just such, he's such a wonderful guy. And he was always very, you know, he's younger and we had a lot of laughs. And I call him my Solamente. He's my last one. He's the last uncle. He's a, and he would call and he'd say, hey, hey, sonny boy, it's Solamente. And we'd have a nice conversation and he would talk about the old days. And he was a uh, pretty 
exciting guy, sweet, funny, hilarious. And he liked to party back in the day and go to concerts and parties and the drinking got a lot of hand and he got his life back together. And he's just, a, he's, but talking to him is always fun. Fun guy, loves Solamente. Solamente has stage four cancer. <laughs> he has stage four cancer. We figured out, uh, he figured out a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a month and a half ago, maybe two months, ago. a month and a half ago. He is a remarkable, remarkable human being. He's, you know, he's, he's been steady on AA and it's been really good for him. And being able to talk to other people in the program have been, he talks to, he does AA, he does uh, meetings at uh, jails. He's, he is changed his life in a meaningful way. And he's a believer. And this is a fucking hard one. And I'm in it with him and, you know, we're talking and it's sad and the sad in the family. And, and it's like, uh, you can hear the rain PS. That's not something, that's not some audio extra. That's fact. Jay's a great guy. Love Jay. I love my Solamente. He's fantastic. And he's going through the ringer right now, but he's very optimistic. He's got great doctors. He's got a wonderful wife and daughter. He's going to kick ass. He's doing the best he can. He's very optimistic. But things were getting grim. Solamente calls me up. My Uncle Jay calls me up. And he's laughing his ass off. Jeff, that was so fucking funny. God damn, when you, when you took the bread, when you burned the bread and you just threw it across the room and don't look at that. And, and then all of a sudden, the, when you, the oil fell off, or one of your friends said something like, nice drizzle, Jeff. And I laughed so hard, and we went over the whole thing. We talked for about 45 minutes, just laughing, laughing, laughing. And just like, oh, the self-deprecating humor, and the this, and the that. And God damn it, I haven't laughed like this in a while, and I really needed this. So all of a sudden, it gets your perspective. It changes your perspective. He had a blast. He had a great time. He loved watching me fooling around. He's like, and you had this kind of... You had this uh, connection with Charlie, and you could tell that you guys knew each other, and you could tell you you had this great relationship. It was so much fun, and it was so funny to see. It was funny to see the contrast between this nice kitchen and your dirty shop, and you're fooling around and laughing it up. And you know, when the oil came out, I guy laughed so hard. I was like one of those Julia Childs things. It was so funny, and you know, those are the funny things. And he had his mind taken away from what he's going through, his treatment. And it changed my outlook. It changed my outlook on the whole thing. It gained perspective. All right, so I get a little humiliated. What the fuck? I didn't cry. I didn't stop everything and start crying. I made a joke. I'm like, you know, and we made jokes and that's how we get through things. And I'm very good at wiggling my way out of these kinds of situations. And it gave me some perspective and I felt like it was almost a degree of redemption. Like, who gives a shit? I fucking spilled the oil. I fucked the whole thing up. I made my uncle laugh at a time that he really needed it, and it really kind of changed my whole outlook. Of course I'm not looking at Facebook or Instagram. I'm not looking. My daughter record, screen grabbed the whole video, and I'm uh, I'm loathe to... Because I wanted to see the comments. I'm loathe to look at the comments. I did watch it back once. You can go to Chef Charlie Palmer on Instagram He's got it on there. Uh, he's got it on his page without the comments. But the, the, the scene where I'm almost done and I'm like, here's a little olive oil and the whole fucker drops. 
it was hard to watch. So, so with that said, redemption. I got redeemed. I'm glad I did it. I'm going to do something else with Charlie. I threatened to make a, uh, cook a fluke on an engine block. That's an old school 80s thing. If you're in the, from the 1980s, you remember all these people used to wrap food in uh, like layers and layers of, of uh, aluminum foil and they would stick it on their engine block and then they would drive for a couple of hours and then when they were done, they'd unwrap it, there'd be a meal. So I threatened to make, I threatened to make a flounder on the engine block. So who knows? We might do something again with Charlie. I, that, that would be great. And, and um, look... What can you do? <laughs> Your best intentions are fucking spoiled by olive oil or something. It was a slick resolution, I'd say. Well, that's what that's what uh, it was. Uh, I what my my good friend the czar Craig Lockwood texted me was, "Don't be too hard on yourself." It was a slick recovery. So I think that's going to be the name of the podcast: a slick recovery. So where is slick recovery? So as we're rounding third, I'm got my shoes tied. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall down before I hit the hit the plate. I want to talk to you about this giveaway. I have gotten a pair of Isotunes Extra professional noise isolating earbuds, wireless Bluetooth connectivity, music and phone calls, stylish hearing protection, and eight hours of battery in between charges. Blocks out outside noise, 27 NRR, that's noise reduction ratings. It's the type you put in your ears, and then they have uh, a strap that goes around your neck. And then they're pretty slick. And they, you know, one of the things about the Isotunes is they give you a different uh, sized... Well, I don't know. I didn't, in this box, I didn't look in this box, but they give you usually they give you different sized uh, earphones so you can contort conform to your ears. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to DM me. I want you to DM me your stories of redemption. I want you to tell me a funny story. And, and listen, things are grim. I understand. I'm not. I'm. This is not. This Isotunes did not say we want you to do a giveaway. I got an extra. And I'm giving it to you. I actually had two extras, one from Knife Talk and one from from uh, the Full Blast podcast. And I'm sending one to my friend Charlie Lionheart because the boy needs some earphones. He get my he get my pair. But I'm giving you the opportunity to win these Isotune Extra professional noise isolating earbuds, and I'll send it globally. Don't I will, I'll send it wherever the hell you are. Whatever the hell you are, I'll send it to you. I want you to DM me your funny stories of redemption. Something happened. Something happened that sucked, but then you, I wanted to see the brighter side of things. Send me your brighter side story, the stories of redemption, whatever you got. Something happened. You know, you fucked things up, but you look on the bright side of things and you, you know, laugh about it later. You know what Bill Burr used to say is tragedy is comedy plus time. Send me your tragedy is, uh, your comedy is tragedy plus time, redemption stories. And here's how it's going to work. If you write me a good one and try to edit yourself, don't do the, so I says this and he says that and the guy says this and edit yourself and write me a, uh, you know, a few lines. I will pick the, the winner based on merit. I would suggest be funny. The winners will not be, you know, and then this penis went into my ass. That's not going to win. And then this guy wanted to suck my dick. That's not going to win. The gross stuff, the gross stuff is, is, is always turns me off. 
and when I say turns me off, it turns my stomach. So, 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 so two girls, we were watching two girls, one cup, and those don't win. Those don't win with me. Those are like, you should have seen the look when the horse came. I don't want to, I don't want any of that. Write me something well-written. Show me some grit. Show me some determination. Show me the brighter side. This happened, and then kind of like re-listen to this, and you see I fucking dropped the fucking oil, but look, I made my fucking uncle, who has stage four cancer, laugh, and I took some, I gave him a, a laugh. Fucking redemption. So give me your redemptions. And uh, with that said, thank you to the Makery Network. Uh, thank you to Craig Lockwood, who's putting this all together. Thank you to Cliff and John, who I am sorry, the audio is no good. We'll redo this at some other point. I am sorry. Ultimately, it's my fault, but I blame myself for everything. All right, with that said, guys, thanks again. Go subscribe. You already heard me say that shit. I'm not saying that shit anymore. And check out Isotunes. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Send me, DM me your stories. Now, this is October 16th, so if it's like after November, don't fucking send me your stories of, whoa, I'm not interested. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be that way, but I mean, let's just be honest. This is October 16th. I'll give you a couple weeks. I'll, I'll give you a couple weeks. But if we're in December or January, you're in January 2021, leave it alone. Don't, don't waste your time. It's, you're wasting your time. If you are sending me DMs about sad stories with a happy ending after December of 2020, you're wasting your time. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to, I'm going to erase it because I'm not interested anymore. I want funny stories, good stories in a timely manner. Okay. And it can be short. It can be short. If it's funny, it's going to win. So with that said, thank you to the Makery Network. Go listen to the other guys on the Makery channel. Definitely listen to the Workford podcast. Brian House and Sarah and Trent, they're doing a good job. Brian just did a solo track. He did an awesome job. I am with I am with Brian. He's an awesome guy. I, I had a nice conversation with, with him this past week. I like Brian very much. Go listen to the Handmade Podcast. Chris Zepp, outstanding individual. Paul, Paul Pinto, Derek from Malden. Go listen to those guys. The Young Makers Podcast. Go listen to those guys. The Art of Craftsmanship. Brothers Devin and Devin and Darren. Devin and Darren. Darren and Dustin. Devin and Dustin. Good bunch of guys right there. Jeremy from Simple Little Life. Go listen to his ass. He's a fucking good dude right there. And then, obviously, listen to the King of the Hill. That's Knife Talk. Knife Talk is the number one podcast on the uh, in this God for in, the, in this germ-infested planet on knives. Number one. All right. And then keep listening to this one. Use use the use the isotunes. Don't be so cheap. Go get your help. Protect your ears. Don't be stupid. All right. Thank you very much, guys. And with that said, it's been a week. I'm with you. God damn it. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.